listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading from the four-volume, 2,500-page-plus work of the Venerable Maria of Agreda. And then after today's reading, if you would like to discuss it with others who are following along and reading and listening, you can go over to the Facebook group, A Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, and there discuss with one another. Today is Day 41. And we are reading from chapter 22 of Book 1, Volume 1, and we'll begin with paragraph 345, and we will conclude at 354. Chapter 22. How St. Anne complied with the law of Moses in regard to childbirth, and how Most Holy Mary acted in her infancy. It was a precept of the law given in the twelfth chapter of Leviticus, that a woman who had given birth to a daughter should be deemed impure for two weeks, and should remain in the state of purification for 66 days after the birth, just double the time required for the purification in case of a man-child. Having completed the days of her purification, she was to present herself in order to offer a lamb one year old as a holocaust for the daughter of the son, and also a young pigeon or turtle dove as atonement for the sin. This she was to do at the door of the tabernacle, beseeching the priest to offer them to the Lord and to pray for her, Thereupon she was accounted pure. The parturition of the most happy Anne was pure and undefiled, as befitting her heavenly daughter, in whose purity the mother was a share. Although on this account there was no need of the obligation of the law to the very last point, though not subject to its penalties, she considered herself bound in the eyes of men. Sixty days of the purification having passed, St. Anne departed for the temple. Her mind inflamed with divine ardor, and bearing in her arms her blessed daughter and child. With the offerings prescribed by law, and accompanied by innumerable angels, she betook herself to the gate of the temple, and spoke with the high priest, who was none other than Simeon. He was accustomed to spend much time in the temple, and enjoyed the privilege and favor of seeing the child Mary, not only when she was offered and presented to the Lord in the temple, but on other occasions. Although this holy priest was not on each of these occasions fully aware of the dignity of our heavenly mistress, as I will say farther on, yet he always experienced great promptings and impulses of the Spirit regarding the greatness of this child in the sight of God. St. Anne offered to him the lamb and turtle dove with the rest of the gifts, and with tears of humility she asked him to pray for herself and the child, her daughter, that the Lord forgive them any fault of which perhaps they might be guilty. His majesty certainly had nothing to forgive in a daughter and mother who were so full of grace, but he found himself bound to reward the humility with which, notwithstanding their holiness, they presented themselves as sinners. The holy priest received the oblation, and in his spirit he was inflamed and moved to extraordinary joy. Careful not to manifest anything exteriorly and communing with himself, he said, What strange feeling is this within me? Are these women perhaps the parents of the Messiah who is to come? Moved by this joyful suspense, he showed them great benevolence. The Blessed Mother Anne entered the temple bearing her most holy daughter on her arms, and she offered her to the Lord with the most devout and tender tears. For she alone and all the world knew what treasure was given into her charge. St. Anne renewed the vow which she had already made to offer her firstborn to the temple on arriving at the proper age. 
In renewing this offer, she was enlightened by new graces and promptings of the Most High. And in her heart, she heard a secret voice urging her to fulfill this vow and offer her child to the temple within three years. It was, as it were, the echo of the voice of the Most Holy Queen, who in her prayer touched the heart of God in order that it might resound in the bosom of the mother. For when both entered the temple, the sweet child, seeing with her bodily eyes its grandeur and magnificence, dedicated to the worship and adoration of the divinity, experienced wonderful effects of the Spirit, and wished to prostrate herself in the temple, to kiss its floor and adore the Lord. But as she could not execute these desires and external actions, she supplied the defect with interior fervor, and she adored and blessed the Lord with a love more ardent and a humility more profound than ever before or ever after was possible to be rendered by any creature. Addressing the Lord in her heart, she offered the following prayer. Most high and incomprehensible God, my King and my Lord, worthy of all glory and reverence, I abject dust, but also a creature of thine, adore thee in this thy holy place and temple. I magnify and exalt thee on account of thy infinite being and perfections, and I give thanks in as far as my insignificance is worthy of thy regard, for thou hast vouchsafed to permit my eyes to see this holy temple and house of prayer, where the holy prophets and my forefathers have worshipped and blessed thee, and where thy generous mercy has wrought so many wonders and mysteries in their behalf. Accept me, O Lord, in order that I may serve thee in this holy house according to thy blessed will. Thus she who was the queen of heaven and of the universe offered herself as if she were the lowest slave of the Lord, as a testimony of its acceptation by the Most High, a most resplendent light shone down from heaven, enveloping the mother and child, and filling them with new splendors of grace. Again, St. Anne was made aware that she would be expected to devote her daughter to the temple within three years. She was given to understand that the delight with which God looked forward to such an offer and the love with which the heavenly child desired its consummation would not permit a longer delay. The holy angels of her guard and innumerable others who were present on this occasion sang sweetest songs of praise to the author of the wonders, but they did not, therefore, have a more perfect knowledge of these happenings than St. Anne or her most holy daughter, who perceived interiorly what was spiritual and felt exteriorly what was subject to the senses in these things. St. Simeon saw dimly the sensible light, Thereupon, St. Anne, rich in her treasure and endowed with the new gifts of the Most High God, returned to her home. The ancient serpent eagerly observed all these events. Yet the Lord concealed from him what he was not to know, and permitted him to obtain knowledge only of what was necessary for his own undoing and his desire of destroying others, and only so much as might serve to make him an instrument in the execution of the secret judgments of the Most High. This enemy was full of conjectures in regard to the unheard of things which had come to pass in connection with this mother and child. But when he saw that they brought offerings to the temple and that they, like sinners, observed the prescriptions of the law, even begging of the priests to intercede for their forgiveness, he was deceived and assuaged in his fury, believing that this mother and her daughter were of ordinary condition, although they might be more perfect and holy than other women. The sovereign child was treated like other children of her age. Her nourishment was of the usual kind, though less in quantity, 
and so was her sleep. Although her parents were solicitous that she take more sleep, she was not troublesome, nor did she ever cry for mere annoyance, as is done by other children, but she was most amiable and caused no trouble to anybody. That she did not act in this regard as other children caused no wonder, for she often wept and sighed, as far as her age and her dignity of queen and mistress would permit, for the sins of the world and for its redemption through the coming of the Savior. Ordinarily, she maintained, even in her infancy, a pleasant countenance, yet mixed with gravity and a peculiar majesty, never showing any childishness. She sometimes permitted herself to be caressed, though by a secret influence and a certain outward austerity. She knew how to repress the imperfections connected with such endearments. Her prudent mother Anne treated her child with incomparable solicitude and caressing tenderness. Also her father Joachim loved her as a father and as a saint although he was ignorant of the mystery at that time. The child on its part showed a special love toward him as one whom she knew for her father and one much beloved of God. Although she permitted more tender caresses from her father and from others, yet God inspired the father as well as all others with such an extraordinary reverence and modesty towards her, whom he had chosen for his mother, that even as pure and fatherly affection was outwardly manifested only with the greatest moderation and reserve. In all things, the infant queen was most gracious, perfect, and admirable. Though she passed her infancy subject to the common laws of nature, yet this did not hinder the influx of grace. During her sleep, her interior acts of love and all the other exercises of her faculties, which were not dependent on the exterior senses, were never interrupted. This special privilege is possible also in other creatures, if the divine power confers it on them. But it is certain that in this regard to her, whom he had chosen as his mother and the queen of all creation, he extended this special favor beyond all previous or subsequent measure in other creatures and beyond the conception of any created mind. God spoke to Samuel and to other saints and prophets in their sleep, 1 Kings 3.4, and to many he sent mysterious dreams or visions, Genesis 37.5.9. For to his omnipotence it is easy to enlighten the mind during the inactivity of the senses and natural sleep, or during the ravishment and ecstasy, they cease to act in the one as well and in the other, and without their activity the soul hears, accepts, and transacts the things of the spirit. This was the rule with the queen, followed from the moment of her conception till now, and for all eternity. For the activity of grace in her during her pilgrimage through life was not intermittent, like in other creatures, when she was alone, or when she was laid to sleep, which was in her most moderate she was engaged in the contemplation of the mysteries and the excellencies of the Most High, and in the enjoyment of the divine visions and the conversation of His Majesty. Her intercourse with the angels was likewise very frequent, and in the following chapter something will be said of the manner of their manifestation and of some of their eminent perfections. My Queen and Heavenly Lady, if, without being offended, thou wilt, as a kind mother, listen to my ignorant talk— I will ask of thy kindness the solution of some doubts which have occurred to me in this chapter. If my ignorance and boldness should transgress the limits instead of answering me, my mistress, correct me with maternal mercy. My doubt is whether in this thy infancy thou didst feel the necessity and hunger which according to the natural order children do feel. And if thou didst feel them, how didst thou suffer these annoying inconveniences?
And how didst thou ask for the nourishment and the other help necessary, since thou wast so wonderfully patient that thou wouldst not make use of tears which serve other infants as speech and words? I am also ignorant whether the hardships of that age were not most irksome to thy majesty, such as to have thy virginal body clothed and unclothed as infants are, to be fed with the food of other children, and to undergo the other experiences of that age. For other children undergo them bereft of reason, while nothing was concealed from thee, O lady. When I look upon thee as a child in age, and yet as grown up in thy capacity of judging of things, it seems to me almost impossible that there should have been no inconveniences in this matter, in the time or the measure, or in the circumstances regarding the treatment allotted to thee during thy infant life. Thy celestial prudence taught thee to preserve dignity and composure, yet thou dost not intimate the wants and needs of thy age and condition, either by crying as an infant or by word of mouth as one grown-up. Thus they could not know the needs and could not treat thee as one endowed with reason, for even thy mother could not know all these things, nor could she provide for all that was necessary since she knew not the time nor the manner of serving thy majesty in all things. All these considerations excite my admiration and arouse in me the desire of knowing the mysteries thus concealed. This concludes our reading today from the Mystical City of God for Day 41, Chapter 22, paragraphs 345 to 354 from Book 1. We know about Simeon because Simeon was this one who waited in the temple he was told that he would see the Messiah, that the Messiah would be brought into the temple and that he would hold him. And that happened when Jesus was brought to the temple on the feast of the presentation of the Lord. And Simeon said, now you can let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people. And Simeon then was in the temple for many, many years. Because think of this, here we have the child Mary. And so if she gives birth at the age of, let's say, 15, well, here Simeon was waiting 15 years then continually for the coming of the Messiah. And we see here kind of Simeon realizes there's something very special about Anne and something special about Mary. He can't put his finger on it, but he's aware of this. And I'm sure that other people, as they encountered Mary and as they encountered uh, St. Anne, that they also had that similar experience. What is so special about this daughter, this Mary? And we know what makes her special. It's the Immaculate Conception, that she always had a heart in love with God from the very moment in which she was conceived. As Anne goes into the temple to be purified, according to the laws, we heard it explained early on, we have this very special moment, and we know that Mary is full of grace. The angel greets her as that at the Annunciation, hail full of grace. And that grace, again, goes back to the Immaculate Conception, but could it also be in reference to this moment that, that Venerable Maria of Agreda describes? As a testimony of its acceptation by the Most High, a most resplendent light shone down from heaven, enveloping the mother and child and filling them with new splendors of grace. God was giving them grace upon grace. Also, too, we heard in our reading today that the ancient serpent eagerly observed all these events, but the Lord concealed from him what he was not to know and permitted him to obtain knowledge only of what was necessary. And so... 
evil will want to destroy this, but God has a plan and God isn't going to allow that evil to destroy all of these things, to destroy what God has put in motion by the birth of Mary, which then will come the Savior. And so the evil one is kind of going to have his face hidden from this beautiful thing that is going on. And then finally, in our reading today, we heard about sleep and how God speaks during sleep. And maybe you've had that experience. I know I've woken up in the middle of the night and had true inspiration from God, I think. Something I was going to write, a message I was going to preach. And it all began to make sense and that God revealed something in that dream that I was having. Maybe you've had a similar experience. There's a lot for us to think about as we've made our way through today's reading for day 41, and we'll be back here tomorrow for day 42. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year, I'm reading the mystical city of God. I'm honored that you are joining me, and I look forward to being with you tomorrow. May God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.